Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Scottish Games Network podcast. I'm Brian Baglow. Uh, I was absent without leave last week, undertaking a top secret mission as part of a major strategic project to um, radically reform, transform and revitalise the games industry in Scotland. Um, I can't tell you too much about it um, unless obviously we send the men in black round to each and every single one of your houses afterwards, but you'll be finding out more about what's been going on in the very near future. Uh, joining me this week, as always, we have our lovely co-hosts. Uh, we have Ryan. Hello. And we have the very lovely Andrew. Hello. Um, if we did had sent the men in black round to everyone's houses, they couldn't know. Which is the beauty of it, right? Well, that's it. We may already have done this. You know, this might be the third or fourth time yeah. that uh, everybody has had their memories wiped. But, um, well, you know, it, it's something to have a chat about uh, at the weekend and, and really see if you can actually um, not surface any repressed memories because we don't want to be responsible for any sort of <laughs> night terrors regarding alien abductions or, you know, something unspeakable. But... Uh, well, let's just hope that it doesn't come to that. Fair. What, a, what an interesting way to start the episode. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, I wasn't here last week. I thought I might as well come back in with a bit of a bang. Exactly uh, so, that. guys, what have you been up to for the last week? What have you been watching, playing, listening to, reading, and indeed cooking? Um, well, I've went back to Daredevil, uh, the Netflix original show, because I only ever watched season one of it and then season one of Jessica Jones, and never really watched any more, and it wasn't for any other re- uh, any particular reason. I think I started Daredevil season two, got about three, four episodes in, and then tailed off and something else came out and I had to watch that or something. And so we went back to that recently, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it, so I don't know why I ever stopped. That sounds fantastic. Andrew? Um, I've been learning about how we're all in a dream world watching the the new Adam Curtis documentary on BBC iPlayer. It's definitely informative, maybe not the maybe not the most positive and uplifting <laughs> thing to be watching. So that and also uh, Apex Legends just came out on Switch, so I checked that out yesterday. And at the moment, it's a bit of a mess, so we'll see how that goes. But um, yeah, that's what I've been up to. Cool and great. I, I binged pretty much the whole of WandaVision uh, on Disney Plus um, just oh. to try and get it out of the way. And as, as a long-time kind of Twin Peaks fan, I have to say, you know, I, it, it, it promised a lot and then it was kind of okay. You know, it, it was certainly yes. something different to the rest of the Marvel oeuvre. But I, I can't really say that it was massively revealing or, or completely shocking. Um, I think for anyone who's read the comics and gone through, you know, Marvel over, over several years, it's not really it's not really going to come as a massive shock. Um, and don't get me wrong, it was charming, it was whimsical. They did a lot of um, really interesting things in terms of different genres within the one series. They sort of, I think it was the second last one or third last one where they actually pastiche different TV shows, including Modern Family, was was really, really good. But overall, yeah, yeah, it's, I, no, it's no Mandalorian. I think the problem with these shows is, and I think it's going to probably be a sort of reoccurring issue, is 
I don't think they're going to be doing anything too major in them because they know that a lot like there'll be a lot of people like that maybe don't follow Marvel too closely but only watch the movies mm-hmm. that you know like they won't watch the TV shows so I think they'll yeah I think we're only going to be getting sort of small story points and stuff instead of getting like massive reveals and stuff well that's that's interesting because this this touches on um transmedia which is one of the areas that I I lecture you know harangue and bore people about but uh, it's a great point you know if you're telling stories across multiple channels multiple media and you know different formats you have to be really careful that, that people can follow along and that if you miss out a certain platform or a, a certain type of content that the rest is going to make sense to you and uh, you know we've got perfect examples with star wars you don't have to have seen anything outside the the, the movies and you can still follow along uh, on the flip side of that you have the matrix where it's after one, you know, they spun out into multiple video games, comic books, novelizations, and so on and so forth. And so if you hadn't read any of that, number two made very little sense, and number three was just a massive pile of dinosaur poo that nobody (laughs) really wanted to touch, even if you had read all of them. Anyway, sorry. Getting (laughs) sidelined. The one one positive thing about, in that situation, is like, like in the Animatrix, for instance, there's like two or three of those that completely divorce from the rest of the Matrix whatsoever. Like you can still, oops, you can still, you can still enjoy, but it does come at the at the expense of the the Matrix, the main thing, as you say, being a complete incoherent mess. Well, and and this is one of one of my favourite topics when it comes to TV shows is the bottle episode. You know, a little self-contained episode in the middle of a series that doesn't actually advance the plot. It just does something, you know, completely different. Um, it, they did a couple of these in Mad Men, which is one of my all-time favourites, and they were superb. Or yeah, Breaking absolutely. Bad, the one where, you know, Walter White's trapped in his, in his lab with a fly. And, and it just lets the yeah, writers play and do something. Yeah, yeah, do something really, really exciting. And I think there's there's a whole discussion to be had about doing something like that within within a video game but that's a discussion for another day so okay <laughs> cool be, and before that. we move on i have to say the last week when i've been working i have mostly been listening to to quote to quote the fast show um the new arab strap album oh my god mm. it's superb superb and you know we we have to advocate for more partnerships and more collaborations between scottish artists across all genres, you know, across all platforms, musicians and authors and game developers and everything, because can you imagine? It's the turning of our bones as an interact. Oh, man, it would be superb. But anyway, there's a campaign to start next week. It's it's almost like someone should write an article about, (laughs) you know, Scottish movies that should become video games. Well volunteered, Ryan. Thank you very much. It's great. Well, you know, you have been sitting twiddling your thumbs since the end of the Playaway Festival. I think that's exactly it. <laughs> this week's news. Okay, it, it's it, it's this week's news. Let's take it seriously. You yes. know, we're, it's good work that we're doing, mostly. Um, so, uh, shall we shall we kick off and jump into our, our review of the last few days? Um, I'll I'll kick off because uh, I think the first story was mine. So we heard on Monday that sadly the Computer Games Journal, um, the academic paper that published uh, reviews and content based around the world of video gaming, has closed its doors as a standalone publication after nearly 10 years. Um, founded by uh, John and Malcolm Sutherland, 
it was one of the very few publications that, that was dedicated to, to video games coming from academic research. And uh, unfortunately, they, they just weren't getting the content in to, to keep it going. So really sad to hear that that's not going to be out there anymore. Um, I, I did end up reviewing a couple of papers for them over the, over the years. And uh, I always found the bits and pieces that came across my desk really, really interesting. But so it goes. Hopefully, given all of the activity around game studies and all of the interest across multiple universities, who knows, we might see something new rising from the ashes. And then on uh, following that, we had a request in from our friends at Skills Development Scotland. They are looking at the ways in which COVID-19 has impacted people working within the creative industries, which of course includes each and every one of us. I know that games doesn't tend to think of itself as part of the software scene or indeed the creative world, but we totes are. So um, they're looking at the ways in which uh, COVID has impacted your work. Uh, it's like, have you had more? Have you had less? Have you been furloughed? Have you been laid off? It's all of these kind of things to let them look at how they can help and how they can use skills, training, upskilling, cross-skilling to really make the creative industry stronger, more resilient and help us grow and evolve our way out of the current and indeed seemingly endless lockdown. So if you are listening to this, uh, go to the Scottish Games Network website, uh, search for COVID-19 and career if you can fill in the form, I know they'll appreciate it. Take the survey, no more than five minutes, and uh, it will help the, the team understand more about how they can help you moving forward with your career or indeed your business. Yeah, and it's the kind of thing that, I mean, obviously Skills Development Scotland are really good at bringing, you know, other people into careers that they maybe didn't even consider as a possibility or something like that. So when we're thinking about stuff like diversity and stuff in games, like it's so important that these people know what basically what the issues are right yeah totally. Uh, totally. i think it's also just really important to quantify exactly how covid's affecting like people especially considering you know freelancers and stuff like that that like that's quite common within our industry the idea of them losing out on work or potentially you know getting more work because of this it's, it's definitely important to know exactly how lockdowns affected people within our industry and further afield Yep, data guys, it's, it's the next big thing. If you don't know your data, then you're guessing. Uh, so, moving swiftly on, we had a, a, a bit of a, a different story next. Again, it was it was kind of one of mine, Ubisoft Danoon. And uh, do the 20 vacancies listed hint at Assassin's Creed Highlander? If you've not actually read the article yet, and I'm guessing that about 99% of the people who were commenting about this online <laughs> didn't bother to read, to read the, the, the article. Uh, the headline. Yeah, this this was this was quite fun because uh, a couple of people got in touch to say, "Hey, look, there's 20 jobs listed at Ubisoft in Danoon," and uh, pointed uh, pointed us towards uh, a jobs board run, you know, by or on behalf of Ubisoft. And it listed a whole lot of roles, um, back-end programmers, network engineers, support staff and everything for a studio listed as being in Danoon in Scotland, um, which was all very, very exciting until you clicked through and looked at the adverts and realised it's not Danoon, it's Da Nang in Vietnam, a, a mere 8,000 miles away. You know, so Hell easily commutable, uh, easily commutable, uh, should you be Iron Man <laughs> or... Uh, Elon Musk. Um, bit of a bugger for the rest of us, however. So, I yeah, 
I, I will admit I had a bit of fun with this and thought it was too good an opportunity not to mention it. Um, the narrative designer and screenwriter uh, Kim McCaskill uh, had posted about her desire for a, an Assassin's Creed game based in Scotland a few weeks ago on Twitter. So I thought it's an opportunity too good to pass up. And wow, it's been storming the charts and uh, so many people sort of going, oh my God, this is great, I can't wait. And a lot of other people going, actually, no, they're not, it's never going to happen, you know. And, and then some people going, actually, if you click through, you'll find that the jobs are in Denang. Um, and if they had read the article, yeah. they would realise that about eight lines in, I said the very same thing. Ironically, if they clicked through. <laughs> quite so, yeah. You know, I even included a, a helpful Google map with the actual commute on foot, um, should you wish to sort of commute from, from Denang to Denang. But um, ugh, what can I say? It, it was a bit of fun. You know, we do we do good work. We do worthy and, yeah. and worthwhile things. Um, but it was just too good an opportunity to pass up. So um, if you read it and you were outraged, what? or if you if you read it and, and you didn't click through and read the article, you have no one to blame but yourself. I was just going to say that you're missing out on some, some cool research about previous Scottish connections in the Assassin's Creed lore as well, which were all new to me and I found fascinating. So you're missing out on that as well. You see, this is this journalism thing. It was like tw twenty minutes to write the whole thing, three minutes on Google, and you just Assassin's Creed Scotland, and uh, yeah, you know, so it was like one of the Templars, Simon, whatever his name, came over and he walked up, he hiked up Ben Nevis, to which I appended, it rained. Yeah, look, if you can't have fun in the games industry, you're doing it wrong. Exactly that. You know, could we just quickly take a moment to acknowledge how brilliant either a Far Cry or Assassin's Creed game set in Scotland would be? Like, I want that. I just, you know, I want a Far Cry more. I want a Far Cry in the style of the one that just came, oh, the one that came out, oh, the most recent one, Five. I just, I like the idea of that being like Wicker Man-esque, set like on the Scottish islands, uh, and I just, I think it'd be great fun, you know, so... Ubisoft, if you're if you're listening to this and you've read our article, get on it. Yeah, it's well. I I actually heard from one contact who has <laughs> who directly passed the article on to uh, one of the uh, one of the executive team at Ubisoft down in Newcastle. So yeah, I'm sure I'm sure they'll be tuning in. I'm sure they will. But you know, let's be honest, guys. We need more video games set in Scotland. Full stop. You know, I I can think of about three. And we're just not seeing it. We're not seeing an awful lot of games. Okay, the the, the, the wrinkles on your brow and the, the sort of far-off expressions. I'm trying to think of the three. <laughs> it's, so, Forza Motorsport. Okay. Because they've got a track in Edinburgh. Dear Esther. Oh, of course. And, uh, oh God. I mean, I'll I guess you could list up. all yeah. the FIFAs um, and golf games and, uh, like, but are sports games cheating? Because they're, you know, let's face it. Totally you know, cheating. Yeah. Well, St. Totally Andrews is kind of counts, I would say, in the golf games, yeah. I yeah. don't know. So we can take PGA Tour, all of them, <laughs> but that's about it. Golf games, wow. Um, We're really pushing the boat I was going to say, Beeswing, Jack King Spooner, that's down, that's down near I, me. That, thank my you, neck of the thank woods. you, that was the one. Be it's a real place, I've yep. been there, I can confirm Beeswing. it. <laughs> Beeswing was the one I was thinking of, thank you very much. It was brain freeze. It's uh, my own fault. I have only had seven coffees today, so you know. I'm only really seven. A journalist <laughs> not that's running at full not a double figures yet. Jeez, that's uh, that's unheard of. Well, you know, it is a Thursday. I'm trying to ease myself into the weekend. It's like, let's be honest. It's like either Assassin's Creed or Far Cry, um, or indeed Tomb Raider. I mean, we've got 
ancient stuff galore. You can't climb over a single sort of steep hill without running in, into a castle. The further north you go, you know, we've got petrified forts, we've got Pictish stones. You know, Lara, what are you, what are you all about? Get yourself up here before there's a hard border <laughs> and you've got to apply yeah. for a visa. Come on. <laughs> Yeah, no, like, anyway. I think that is a topic for another time. Game, like, we should just do an episode where we just pitch like installments in running franchises that could be set in Scotland. I video games that would benefit from an episode or a title set in Scotland. Ryan, you are on fire I'm in just, terms of giving yourself work for the for the it. site these that, days. That's exactly it. Actually, no, I'm just to see that out. I've just oh, thought right, of another, another game set in Scotland. Well, a mission set in Scotland. Um, Uncharted 4 has a mission set in Scotland. Uh, and I can't remember what castle oh, really? you're at, but you're at a castle. And if I'm honest, it's one of those situations where it could literally be anywhere. There's just some tall grass and it's, you know, it's rolling hills. But it's Scotland, so it's something. Okay, I think we need to nip this in the bud yes. now because otherwise... It's like it'll be forty-five minutes later, and we'll be going. Actually, was one of the lemmings levels? No, no. Let's let's not. Let's <laughs> save it for a nice big article on the site. Definitely. Um. So, so, uh, yeah. Oh God, it's. I seem to have been really busy this week because next up we've got. Uh, yeah, Seems so. The second case study uh, that we did in conjunction with the team at InGame, the innovation centre based in Dundee which is a partnership between Abertay, Dundee and St Andrews Universities. And so at the, the tail end of 2020, we put together a whole lot of case studies looking at some of the innovative and pioneering work being done by games companies across the whole of the Dundee cluster. Last week, we wrote about Conglomerate Games and the work that they're doing with Project Physio, helping kids with cystic fibrosis to breathe more easily. And this week, it was Stormcloud Games and Nat West who collaborated to produce the gorgeous little gem called Island Saver. You know, now it doesn't specify which island, so it could be Rassi, it could be Sky, it could be Arden. You know, this could be a Scottish game that we just don't we don't yet know which island. Um, but it's a really beautiful little game. You know, AAA console title. It's out on all of the current generation, uh, as well as iOS and Android, and it's a 3D um, tidy up. So you you know, built about these islands, you um, find and recycle rubbish, and you get paid money and you can save the money and you can buy new gear and equipment and you get taxed on your money and uh, the whole point is to teach kids basic financial concepts and basic sort of monetary concepts from opening a bank account through to loan sharking and it's beautiful it's really gorgeous it's not an educational game it's a game that happens to educate you and it's a really wonderful example of how games and in this case fintech can work together to do something beyond the confines of mere entertainment. Absolutely wonderful. And 2.6 million downloads and still going. Um, and if you take a little look, if you plug Island Saver into YouTube, the number of streamers, the number of, you, you know, let's players, the number of people out there who are not in the six to 14 year old target demographic who are playing and loving this game is amazing. You know, overwhelmingly positive reviews on Steam. It's it's just a, a thing of joy. So, fair play to the guys at Stormcloud. Well done, Frank. Uh, good work. And uh, to Nat West, you know, kudos for actually doing something positive and meaningful in you know the, the world of video games, which can be a frightening and, and you know sinister place for big grown-up corporations. So, fair play to them both. 
Yeah, and like Absolutely. it's just it's just doing something that people have been sort of complaining about for years that you know when you leave school and you know kids just don't know anything about sort of the real world you know i can tell you pythagoras theorem but i couldn't tell you how to set up a bank account and like that's that is like you know that's something that people have been complaining about for a like for decades and for them to gamify that and make it so it's really easily accessible it's just it's, it's really cool it's just yeah i don't know what else to say other than it's it's cool and it's really important well as we saw from the playaway festival you know it's there are a lot of companies up here now who are building games, releasing games, focusing on mental health, well-being and education. And I think this is a great example. And the fact that it came out across all of the big consoles and proved to be such a big hit should be a real lesson for the big brands, the IP owners and the corporations out there who are looking for new ways to kind of engage with their audience. You know, it doesn't have to be about battle-chested space marines and explosions. You can do something whimsical, wholesome and fun and to teach people, um, you know, valuable life lessons at the same time. Yeah, they, they released it free, which is not a small undertaking. You know, it, it releasing a console game across PlayStation and Xbox and Switch and Steam and then on iOS and Android is, is a big project. So again, you know, I think the, the, the bank have to be recognised and uh, applauded for, for taking games seriously. Uh, and uh, yeah, Island Saver is out now. You can track it down via the Scottish Games website and we would highly recommend that you do. Yeah, the only game that I can think of that sort of tries to teach you about finance is uh, the sort of popular game anyway, is Animal Crossing because of that mm, that man, Tom <laughs> Nook. And yeah, <laughs> I think that's closest we get is that loan shark. Well, Island, Island Saver does actually feature a lone shark who is a, like an 18-foot great white shark in a pork pie hat. So, so I'll, I'll like the it. tax bot, the tax bot, it's like you will you will never look at taxation the same way after this this little egg-shaped robot in a bowler hat comes down and takes 10% of everything. I reckon, uh, after, I reckon after my latest haircut, if I put on a bowler hat, I could cosplay it. Well, I didn't want to say... <laughs> But uh, for those of you, those of you listening in audio only, without the benefits of full 4K stereoscopic virtual reality, um, Ryan's haircut is getting more and more serious. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I had to, I had to trim it lately, uh, recently, and I did something stupid. Um, I opened the, like, you know, I got the clippers out and uh, looked at. Like I normally go for a three, and it was getting like it was getting to that sort of time of day where like it's getting a little bit dark, but not like you haven't closed the blinds and turned on the light yet and I was just uh, and I looked out the head for my clipper and was like oh yeah that says three you know obviously I took my glasses off because you know I need to cut my hair clipped on the, the thing and then started and then the girlfriend goes that that looks a bit short are, are you sure that's a three and I was like I'm pretty sure I turned on the light and it was a two and I was like ah you don't think like a couple of millimeters is gonna, you know, change how how you look, but apparently it does. It it could have been worse. It could have been worse. It, it's like the burstal look is coming back, you know. So, I I'm pretty sure the whole the thug life oh, I, thing. I actually need to get into punk music. <laughs> a bit of oil. No, I think you okay. said it, man. I think it looks good. Ah, rock it up. Yeah. Oh, you totally are. It, it's yeah. with the, with you... the glasses and the headphones. You know, it, it's it's very very. Yeah. It's working for you. Oh it's yeah. <laughs> Anyway, moving swiftly Certainly on. out of the Tintin ballpark now. Yeah, that's it. You know, you can't that's, call the Tintin anymore. That is a very good... It's like, <laughs> I mean, which character from the Tintin franchise do we look like? 
It's not Captain Haddock. It's not Snowy. It's... I mean, I, I am you know, as annoying as a wee yappy dog, to be fair. I'll give you that. I couldn't possibly comment. <laughs> couldn't possibly. I'll, I'll save it for the, the editorial extended version. But anyway, yes, moving swiftly on. Uh, next, we came to uh, one of your stories, Ryan. Um, yes. So tell us about Stronghold Warlords. Well, okay. Um, Stronghold Warlords uh, is a game that came out. It came out on the 9th, um, so just a couple of days ago at the time of recording. Um, and it's the latest installment in the Stronghold franchise, where essentially the main focus is to build, uh, to build a castle or stronghold, you know, and defend it while also attacking your enemies and stuff. So it's it's quite it it's quite sort of civilization, total war kind of stuff, like mm-hmm. real time strategy, but with the added sort of base building element. And it's really cool. Uh, like I didn't really know much about the franchise because I'm not an RTS guy and I don't really play on PC much either, and that's kinda of where that genre lives primarily. Um, so yeah, like I, I give it a wee look in, uh, look into, and the reason we looked into it was because it was brought to us by Firefly Studios, which have a base up in Aberdeen. So they're in Connecticut, London, and the glorious northeast of Scotland, uh, the place I call home. So um, yeah, thought like a bit of hometown pride uh, led me to to writing up that. And the thing that's really cool about this one is they've moved from like European like medieval history and you're you're gonna be in Asia. So the campaign takes you from like Vietnam to China to Japan. Um, and you get to recreate uh, various historical battles and the big selling point with this installment uh, that sort of changes it based on the other ones is you can come across warlords, which are historical figures from throughout history that if you recruit them into your army they can give you additional perks or upgrades and they give you extra resources and so it's all about management managing your warlords as well as just you know how your civilization's coping and all that and i you know now that i'm thinking about it i should have probably said it was more age of empires than than total war but it's really cool well worth checking out and from what I've seen, um, so currently the reviews are mixed on Steam, but from all the reviews I've seen from the the sort of big news produ- uh, publications that have had the game for a wee while, apparently that's like they're all predicting that that's going to move towards positive, because like at the start of the game you feel like it's quite limited, and the more you play it, the more it opens up and you sort of get a feel for the whole thing. So yeah, like. Like anyone who's played it for a decent amount of time is praising it, and yeah, if it's your type of thing, definitely check it out. Well, there's there's a whole lot of games out there, a whole lot of um, genres that don't, you know, immediately reward your, your. I mean, you you found the perfect example with Dwerg Saga a few weeks ago. You know, it's not an immediate pick up and play mobile experience. You know, three minute snacking kind of um, title. It takes time to get in there and and sort of as you say. Uh, sweep through it's the the grasslands of the uh, the Mongol steppes. Um, but I do have one question, Ryan, which is how many boards could the Mongols hoard if the Mongol hordes got bored? <laughs> did, did you want to show off that you could say that on radio or yeah broadcast? Yeah, fair. It, it, it was it was a, an absolutely shameless. It was just when you were talking, I thought, what was that? I'm sure it's from Calvin and Hobbes, um, and you should never need an excuse to quote Calvin and Hobbes. So uh, forgive me, but um, 
Yeah, I, I just thought I would ask in case it had come up in the course of you playing the game. I don't think it has, not yet, but I mean, who knows? Like, you know, that could be the big twist ending, is how, like, how many could they hoard? That's the real question. Um, <laughs> yeah, that could be what changes your review from mixed to... to positive. Well, only positive. Yeah. Is when people reach that part. <laughs> well, <laughs> when they find out the answer, finally. It's great to hear that we have a studio up in Aberdeen. It's, there seems to be quite a lot of activity going on up there for a, for a city that was always so focused on one industry, for on one particular sector. Um, we are seeing more and more, you know, d developers, more studios, more sort of indies coming out of the city. So um, watch this space because we hope to be able to do a, a quick roundup of some of the more interesting people up there in the near future. And indeed, we'd like to reach out to Firefly and see if they would... Uh, if they'll come and talk to us about the whole franchise at some point, because, uh, yeah, a medieval siege em up sounds like the sort, perfect sort of way that we could be spending. It's like the last remaining days of lockdown before we're all allowed out in the fresh air again. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I was, just, I was just thinking when we were speaking about, you know, games that re reward like, longer playtime. Another game that came out of Scotland that sort of suffered from that and eventually sort of made its name for it was a uh, crackdown because mm -hmm. they found that when they were playtesting it people who only got like a short amount of time with the game went oh yeah it's okay i suppose but the people who played it for longer or you dropped them in slightly further into the game where you did start getting like your superpowers and stuff or like you know that sort of extra abilities they really enjoyed it so what they decided to do was they packaged the multiplayer for halo 3 with every copy of crackdown for the xbox 360 and that's what led to its success. So yeah, there's definitely a market for games that, you know, do force you to play for a wee bit longer before you sort of come across everything that it has to offer. That That's very, very true. Although, you know, it's the, the mechanic in Metroid that always really, really hacked me off was, look, here's Samus, it's Samus. It's like, here's all the cool stuff you can do. You can do absolutely everything. And then there's a mysterious accident and they take all the cool shit away from you. And then you've got to go through and actually try and find it all. And all the time, in the back of my head, there's just sort of an old man down. Bloody thing. It's, you know, it's like if I was Samus Arden, I would have duct taped everything to my armor to stop it being ripped off in an accident slash kidnapping slash, you know, just have backup incident. Like, why doesn't she take backups with her? You know, like. Just ha like, have Very your shit point. loaded with multiple of everything you need and, you know, like, just drop ship it into the planet before you, like, get like, some of it into the planet before you start coming down, just in case it's the ship that gets destroyed and makes you lose all your, your armour and stuff. Or, you know, if it's the dropship that gets destroyed, you're fine. Your, your spaceship's full of the stuff you need. You see, if only Nintendo had thought to come to us, they could have been so much more successful than they have been to date. I mean, that's exactly it. You know, it's not like the main <laughs> selling point of the game is unlocking things as you go and slowly uncovering an alien planet or anything. Yeah, let, let's, let's just trash well, the entire fair, progression it's... system and, and uh, you know, in a completely uninformed and um, naive way. Just and, head straight uh, for uh, the main boss. Oh wait, hang on, are we acting like the games media? Oh god we are, we're <gasps> acting like the games media. Oh. Right, okay, I'm shutting this down and I'm shutting this down now. We're going to move swiftly on again and Andrew, the last and the, possibly the juiciest uh, story of the week. Uh, so tell us what's happening with GTA 5. Yeah, so 
with GTA 5, we knew already that there was um, next-gen console versions coming. In fact, GTA 5 was the game that introduced the PlayStation 5 to the world. If you remember, the, the launch uh, event for the PlayStation 5 actually opened with a trailer for GTA 5, and everyone was thinking, what's going on here? Um, so at that time, they just announced that they were bringing it to PlayStation 5. But in a recent kind of investor kind of conference thing with the CEO of Take-Two, he essentially said that, you know, these aren't going to be straightforward ports. They're going to be they're going to be some sort of remaster. So some kind of version of the game made specifically for next gen consoles rather than just here's the game again, but now you can play it. You can play it over here. So um, it's exciting stuff and it, it kind of raises a lot of questions. Number one about what these versions of GTA will look like. And furthermore, Rockstar, I've got a big catalog of stuff that lots of people would like to play. Be nice if that got remastered too. So I think it's kind of sort of thing that's maybe opening the door to more. I would say. Yeah, I'm seeing quite a few sort of things online where people are saying like the PlayStation 2 had three GTAs and this GTA has had three consoles. Um, it's quite, it's quite <laughs> drastic, you know. Well, I think this is this is the way that the the industry is going. If you've got a game that isn't so incredibly popular and you're producing new content for it, why would you not support uh, it's the you know the new consoles as they come out? But I think what we're going to do is we're going to drop into a more detailed it's um, discussion about this because the whole uh, notion of game preservation, game archiving is something that came up at the Playaway Festival and it's something we all kind of thought was really interesting and felt really strongly about and we're going to be talking to Lauren uh, who was dealing with that whole issue and, and looking into that whole issue uh, in the very near future but it's like let's talk about remasters let's talk about the video game sector so the game sector unlike music film and literature does not have a particularly long tail by which i mean you cannot buy games that came out in 2007 or 1997. you can buy some games maybe as part of collections and you can sure as hell um, find them online and download them and emulate them but you know you can buy pink floyd's classic dark side of the moon as easily now as you could back in the 1980s 90s early 2000s you know you can you can go out and you can buy classic movies citizen kane you can buy train spotting uh, you can buy um everything that george melier and the lumiere brothers did uh, and, and dvd collections all of these other industries all of these other creative media preserve their history and make their history available to new generations whereas if you wanted to go and play and download lemmings the original grand theft auto Heads, Hired Guns, Walker, Blood Money, any of the games that were for platforms and technologies that don't exist anymore, that aren't sold, you can't. And and so why is it that we're, we're producing so much content, so many games which are so well-loved that people are pouring hundreds, thousands of hours into, and they just kind of vanish? Bit of a strange one, no? Mm. Yeah, no, it definitely is. The the idea sure. that game developers seem to be of a mindset of like once they've released something, it's like, you know, that's it, done that, been there, done that, that's that finished. And, you know, if someone wants to play it in twenty years, then, you know, good luck. You know, try find a second hand copy or emulate it or whatever. And I think that is changing a little bit now with, you know, platforms like Steam and GOG, you are getting, like, games are sort of having a longevity, but that's only for PC gamers, really. In terms of, you know, console gamers, if you're 
if you're the type of person that buys, like, let's say the PlayStation 4, and now the PS5's coming out, you get rid of your PS4 and get a PS5. All the games that were on that console that aren't sort of being ported over, uh, you know, they kind of just disappear. And, you know, obviously back compa uh, backwards compatibility changes that a wee bit, but it's not always the case. It, not, it doesn't always happen. Like, this generation, you know, famously, there was a lot of sort of booing and hissing at E3 when they announced that there wasn't any back and pat for either the either of the consoles. It's quite, yeah, like, it's quite strange that developers don't think, or publishers don't think, well, you know, how do we keep people talking about these games? And like, yeah, how many times have you heard about a game that you've missed? That, like, you know, it's so difficult to get your hands on. Um, I've actually got a wee list of, like, good examples and bad examples of reboots and remakes, and one of them uh, is The World Ends With You, which was a, a wee sort of experimental JRPG made by Square Enix for the Nintendo DS. And I always wanted to play it. Like, I, I heard about it like a couple of years after it came out and always wanted to get a hold of it. But then, like, if you tried to find it, you could only find it secondhand and it was going for about 50 quid. And I was like, 50 quid for like a game on the DS that I only kind of want to play? No, I'm alright. Like, I'm not willing to take that punt on it. But they've just remastered it for the Switch, and I got it around my birthday, and I'm willing to take the punt on a sort of brand new game for a, a new console, but going back to the, the DS and paying extortionate amounts for something that should have really been coming down in price, it just doesn't really make sense. Well, yeah. that's, that's, it, it, it's that's a difficult one, sorry. No, no, you go. No, 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 please go on. No, you go. No, you hang up. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, it's a great point. Brian, you know, it's the sheer amount of stuff that's coming out now. Um, you just can't keep track of absolutely everything. And it can be incredibly frustrating if you hear about a game and, and you come in sort of late in its lifespan and you invest time, you invest money, and then the company basically shuts down the servers. You know, it's happened to so many games in, in the, the last 10 years. But, you know, it's the, the developers, the publishers who are producing these games, they have costs as well. You know, it, it takes money to run servers. It takes money to have support staff. And if you are producing, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of games every year, just the, the, the support costs can be can be endless. And, and you know, the, this is a different um, discussion topic, but depending on how you monetize that game, if people bought it up front and, you know, there's no more revenue coming in, then there comes a point where it's costing you more than it made you to, to keep it going. But at the same time, there are a lot of examples out there of games which, you know, have been released into the community, as it were, and it's it's become a, a, a collaborative effort to keep them going. One of the, the games, a little bit like the one you mentioned, that came out the early 2000s was a game called Netstorm, and it combined the action real-time strategy of Command & Conquer with the shape sorting of Tetris. Let that okay. sink in. Sounds interesting. You had floating, oh yeah, you had floating islands and you had to build a base and then collect resources. And the resources had to be uh, connected to your main island by bridge pieces, which were basically Tetrino shaped. It was gorgeous. It was a beautiful little thing. And I, I had sort of seen it and I could never find it. And eventually I found it uh, and installed it just in time for it to vanish into the grey wear and the abandoned wear kind of side of things. And my disc corrupted, you know, it just wouldn't load. And I was stuck with a game that I really enjoyed, but I couldn't play. And, you know, they, I think it was Activision had moved on and had another several hundred games on the market at the time. So, you know, I, 
we're not saying every game should be available all the time, always, forever and ever and ever, amen. But with the advent of the new streaming services, you know, Stadia or Stadia, um, you know, PlayStation Now, um, Xbox Games Pass, more and more games are starting to become live services. And whether that's part of a subscription service, which we touched on, you know, a, a while back on the podcast, whether it's, uh, I tell a lie, that was in the Game Gurus column. I beg your pardon. Sorry, folks. It's, uh, you know, being a media mogul is not easy. It's, we've got so much stuff going on that it's easy to lose track. But, you know, it, it's, it's something that could potentially be fixed. But that's kind of taking us away from, from the, the main topic, which was the, the, the remasters and the reboots. So, yeah. Andrew, in the piece that you wrote, you touched on a couple of the mm-hmm. big franchises that Take Two have run, where they've had a couple of different approaches. So, take us through that, please. Yeah, I mean, I mean, that's the thing with remasters is that there is there it doesn't seem to be a kind of consistency across the board, and in, in terms of what it is we're talking about when we're talking about remasters. So, Take Two themselves. Two recent examples from them are the Bioshock trilogy in which they've repackaged the first two Bioshocks and Infinite uh, as one one collection for the new consoles. And more recently than that, they also did the same thing with the Mafia trilogy. But between those two projects and also within those projects, they handle some of the games differently. So in the Bioshock one, for instance, they haven't really done a whole lot. It's more just kind of making the games playable in their original state but you know like scaled up to um, the modern standard in terms of resolution and also improving the frame rate a little bit this kind of thing just just kind of the sort of minimal level of polish whereas in the case with the mafia trilogy they completely remade the original mafia from the ground up new engine new assets like basically um, built the game again from scratch and then the second game in the trilogy is more along the kind of Bioshock lines, except they've also put in new textures, new animations. Um, they've kind of made some changes to the character models and stuff like that. So, you know, there's various degrees of remaster and we kind of see this across loads of different remasters that have happened recently. And it's kind of, I suppose, yeah, w- w- what is a remaster? What's a remaster? What's a remake? What's too far? What's what do we want? Want essentially? There's loads of interesting questions there. I think that kind of goes back to what uh, Laura was saying at Playaway. You know, like, do you preserve a game in its initial state, like it's the same way it was released, or do you try to capture how it felt the first time you played it? Like, you know, by today's standards and, and all that, and try to like, do you smooth out the textures in PS One games so they look better on? modern TVs or do you keep it the way it did so CRT monitors would run it properly. It's quite an interesting topic and I don't think it's something that other sectors have to worry about. Especially not like music. Music, you know, as long as it's been sort of preserved somewhere, somewhere you can listen to it. I guess maybe the closest thing we can have is maybe film and the idea of colorizing black and white footage. But even then, like, there isn't really a precedent to do that. Like, you know, no one, I don't know anyone who's like, oh, Citizen Kane, let's get it colorized, you know? 
So, I, I, yeah, it's a very unique problem to the games industry. There, there are a couple of, uh, in film and television, there are a couple of examples. I remember in Friends, when Friends became HD, there was that kind of people online talking about how now you can suddenly see parts of the set that you couldn't see before, like, uh, you know, bits of switches or things like that that um, you weren't supposed to see. Or, you know, people talking about how in films that use, like, uh, costumes and like rubber special effects and stuff like that suddenly you can see all the seams in the costumes that that weren't possible before and then there's also i don't know if, if either of you've seen the wire but um david simon the creator of the wire he had this big kind of thing for a long time where he said he only wanted the wire to be in standard aspect ratio because that's how he that's how he uh envisioned it at the time because he wanted it to look like the daily news people were seeing on their television. So I think there, those kind of questions definitely do exist in, in other mediums, but I think with games, maybe because you're jumping between consoles and things like that, and there's such huge leaps in the technology that you're right, that there are a whole lot more questions to, to talk about. Do you, uh, do you know, just now that you've mentioned TV, I, ju I just remembered that when The Simpsons came over to Disney+, Plus, they changed it from standard to widescreen. But how they did that was they just sort of cropped it. So it meant that like, the top and the bottom of the screen wasn't... Right. Like, you know, the top and bottom of the frame wasn't really visible. And a lot of fans complained because, like, The Simpsons is kind of known for, like, a lot of its background jokes and, like, wee things that are happening that you... Like, on a second or third watch of an episode, you'll see it. Um, and one that's a real standout that, like, it totally killed a joke was there's an episode where Homer goes to the Duff Beer Brewery and there's a pipe running along the top of the screen and there's three vats and it says duff light duff and i can't remember what the third one is but you can see that it's just one pipe feeding all three of them and that whole joke <laughs> just doesn't work because when they cropped it you couldn't see the pipe so it was just homer standing in front of three you know massive vats of like beer that got different labels on it they're really really interesting examples and i think there's there's a i guess again it's maybe a little closer to music than it is to to tv because with music you'll have the master tapes and you know there are a lot of examples of um musicians and producers going back and remastering um some classic albums you know famously jimmy page went back through zeppelin's entire back catalogue and kind of remastered it and brought it up to date with the latest technology and uh, in film you kind of you have especially when you're shooting on digital, basically you've got the original, but what are you going to do with it? You know, is it, is it different software? Can you run it through that? Whereas with games, it's not just the output. You know, you should have the code, maybe not in every instance, but you should have the code there that actually makes it work. So do you start changing the code? Do you preserve it? Do you have, um, you know, the original here is the, 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 the artifact, the product that was released in X. Uh, but here's how we've actually changed it and updated it. And at what point does that stop being a remaster and become a reboot? You know, I would I would argue that uh, the more recent Tomb Raider games were a reboot. You know, it reimagined the franchise from the beginning. It gave Lara a whole new backstory. You know, it really gave her a different journey. Whereas with the, the, the GTA games, what we're talking about is, is a remaster. But potentially, if you start introducing, uh, you know, new abilities that appeared in some of the later games, it does become a bit of a reboot, or is it a remaster with bells on? And the Mafia example you, you gave, Andrew, is great, because it's 
that attention to detail and it's that kind of sympathetic um, remastering, you know, within the, the spirit of the original, but not just slapping a new coat of paint on it and shoving it out, but, but really producing something new that preserves the game and makes the game an entry point for people or a, a way for people who only came in later in the series to really enjoy the early games that kind of established the franchise you know so i i can i can absolutely get it and you know let's be honest guys yeah. there are a ton of games out there that we'd all probably love to play again but that you can't access at the moment so there's very clearly a market for this i, I don't think the, the 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 economic terms are going to be what drives this because let's be honest you know the games industry not short of a bubble or two what was it? 174 billion dollars. The the global games industry was worth in 2020. So, I don't see EA, Activision, Blizzard, you know, Bioware or anyone tripping over themselves to go. Well, actually, you know what? We're we're missing this chunk of change that maybe doesn't equate to a whole lot. But I think in terms of of an industry driven initiative to preserve and to I guess find out what games people want because even within the the, the, the take two and rockstar catalog there are a lot of games there that people would absolutely love to be able to play on their current devices i feel like bully one that keeps getting brought up time and time again bully yeah um that's definitely one i'd love to see i was i was going to mention a game that rockstar now own the rights to i believe they published and made the last game in the franchise but they didn't make the first two, but like I say, they still own the rights to, and that's Max Payne. I would love to see, like, see the first two Max Payne games on my PS4, potentially PS5, Xbox Series X. That would be that'd be great. Like the idea of just playing those games that I've I've gotten so much enjoyment out of, you know, over the years, but not having to, you know, worry about digging out the PS2 and setting it up. Just, it seems like a bit more of a rigmarole than you know, like being able to just play it on the, co- like the console that I've got hooked up at the moment. And that's just, yeah, I'd love that. Like Max Payne is definitely something that I'd want to see. A good call. A good call, sure. Andrew. Any any particular games or franchises you want to see brought back? I th- I think with all of this stuff, ideally, ideally you want both, right? Like I think I think I I love the idea as you're saying of like the the remaster that brings in new people to something. But at the same time, you also it is also good to have access to as close to the original thing as possible as well. Um, I, th- I think an interesting one, based on ju- just pulling from something that we've talked about already today, I, I think that the very first Assassin's Creed at this point is maybe due a reassessment because the I remember it was kind of not so well received at the time, but just from a historical point of view, it would be so interesting to see kind of how that game fares today because it's so different the series has gone in such a different direction now i think maybe early entries in series where probably the people who are playing the latest entries now haven't you know there's so long that they haven't gone back to those originals to see what they're like um that's the stuff i think is interesting the stuff that kind of gives you more context that's the stuff i'm interested in most i think yeah um i i think we've all been in a situation where you've sort of where you've joined a franchise uh, or a series about halfway through or you know you've picked up the latest installment and then when you've went back to another game in it you just, the, the gameplay style feels totally different or everything just feels a little bit more clunky 
and you know, I've mentioned Hitman quite a lot um, on the channel and you know in previous podcasts and stuff. Uh, and I do like it's one of my favorite franchises. And I'm recently I've been recently playing a lot of Blood Money again, and that's a game that I I have well over like 30 hours, 40 hours on Steam on it. You know, I'd hate to think how much I've got on like console combined. But after playing IO Interactive's recent series. And I think that, like, you know, I'm a massive fan of that. I think they've taken everything about the series that makes it Hitman and streamlined it and modernised it and made it just as good as it possibly can be today. Going back to play Blood Money, I find myself getting frustrated at it. You know, going, why can't I just do that? Like, like, why are you making me do this in a roundabout way where I could just do it in a button press in the latest game? Yeah, like, I think the idea of having an, like, having almost two remasters is quite an interesting idea of, like, this is what the original was, and this is what it would be if we made it today, sort of thing. Like, it, yeah, you've got to walk a fine line when remastering a game, because, yeah, when does it become a reboot? You know, you uh, Brian, you mentioned Lara Croft, or er, Tomb Raider, uh, earlier, and they remade the first Tomb Raider from the PS1 on the 360 PS3 generation, and I think it was called Tomb Raider Anniversary. But even that added new things, and uh, like, you know, that sort of iconic bit where you fight the the dinosaur, like the big T-Rex. Yeah, it was a quick time event sequence. Well, that's not mm-hmm. the same as what the, the original game was, so does that mean to say now it's a reboot instead of a remaster? Or is it just a remaster that's take, like taking the game completely into the modern era, or at that point in the modern era and what was fashionable within video games at the time. Quick time events are always fun. You know, pressing X not to die is possibly the finest expression of video gaming mechanics that I think in in this or any other period of history. God, I hate quick time events. Yeah. I, I just, feel like if it, you, there's no excuse. I feel like if you be, like you make it part of the core gameplay loop like the Telltale games I can accept it, and I'm like, yeah, you, this this game has been designed around its action sequences being quick time events, and I get that, and it's more of like an interactive sort of animated film rather than, you know, an action title like Tomb Raider or whatever. The worst one is when it only happens every now and again, and it's in a cutscene. And so like, you'll put your controller down, and you're like, I'm just going to watch this, I'm going to enjoy the story. Bang! Now you've got to watch the past ten minutes of cutscene again. You know? Game designers? You're very welcome. It's like, and this is all valuable information that we're providing to you free. Yeah, so, free. you know. No one's ever said any of this before. Of course, this is completely new stuff. We're in uncharted you're, waters. You're going to be perplexed that you hadn't thought of this before, but, uh, but you know, it's it's always nice to hear it's, um, you know, three random yahoos on the internet offering opinions about how to make your games better. I'm sure they really like it as well. They bet you they really appreciate it after spending hours and hours crafting a game and making it as good as they can be just three guys just said oh yeah but you could have done this to make it better like specifically guys yeah oh don't it's we have become everything that we loathe and despise gentlemen so okay we're we're, we're gonna we're gonna stop there but (laughs) just before we do just before we do i I mean nobody's asked me but I, i think when it comes to remastering and rebooting i think there's one game above all that we we should all agree we need to see more of and that people want to go back and it, and it's of course fifa oh yeah of course the original fifa I soccer mean, yes yeah yeah because it's like we've we're losing what made it special 
he says, a man who's never played FIFA in his goddamn life. Was FIFA Soccer but, the first one, or was that the PSP title that I used to play? I can't remember. <laughs> hey, listen, let's bring back actual soccer from the, the the team at Gremlin. It's if we want to if we want to get all nostalgic and misty eyed about sports franchises, that's where we go. Um, actual darts, Bosh. Um, I don't even know why I said Bosch, but but okay. I think you've got a Honestly, new catchphrase now. You've got to say Bosch after every sta- like point you make. Yeah, I'll get sued by Jamie Oliver. <laughs> I like Jamie Oliver, so I don't want to get sued by him. Mr. Oliver, please don't sue me. I don't have anything that you would like. Um, apart from my pizza dough recipe, sweet potato pizza dough. <laughs> Call me Jamie, we can talk. Uh, Give that away for free. Oh yeah, no, no, absolutely. I'll save that for the cooking podcast. But uh, one of my favourite games of all time, possibly my favourite game of all time, is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the Infocom version. Um, Mostly because it was co-created by Douglas Adams and is incredibly clever. So if you have watched the TV show, listened to the uh, the radio series, God help us, you know, seen the movie or read the books, it doesn't help you. It uses all the same characters, but the narrative flow is completely different. It is fascinating, it's astonishing, it's bloody difficult. And for its 30th anniversary, the BBC released an online version, which is the same game, but it brings in sort of graphics and it, it brings in a, a, a slightly more um, pleasant user interface. Um, and you can still find it now. We'll include it in the show notes, but it's up on the BBC website. And if you've never played The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, it's just the best thing. You ever. mentioned that it was difficult there. Uh, isn't that like, isn't there a point in it where if you didn't pick something up right at the very start of the game, a couple of hours uh, later, you can? No, fail. no, 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 no. It's about about twenty eight moves in, you can fail to do something, and if you fail to do it, then six thousand moves later, you can't finish the game. So yeah, yeah, it, it, it was it was a bugger. It was. But you know what? That's why it took me six years to complete. Well, that's like, I don't think game design, I, there's definitely, like, game designers don't really have that sort of, like, they, they don't, I don't think they'd get away with that nowadays. And I think there is Hermit sort of, yeah, I don't think there's mm-hmm. a, I think there's a precedent of, like, I paid, like, 50 quid for this game. I, I'm entitled to see the, the end of it. And I get that. And I think that's why a lot of people criticize, like, Dark Souls and stuff. It's like, you know, I've spent a lot of money on this, you know, and there's no way for me to, see the end of it if I'm just bad at it. But that's just how games were at one point. You know, how many There's, SNES games have you actually finished? Yeah, well, it's the, the the last the last data I saw suggested that something like 80% of all video games are never finished because somebody will hit that point of frustration and there's always something new on the horizon, which again, you know, plays into the whole, do we need more old games on the market? Um, but th- there's a discussion to be had about the whole difficulty curve and why uh, designers and developers insist on including a, a difficulty curve um, at all, you know, or, or why in some cases it's so fucking steep as to be vertical because it does put you know a lot of players off. And, and if you're not the hardest of the hardcore and you can't spend 14 hours a day um, in front of your TV or on your, your, your PC, it, the, the chances of you getting through it are slim to none. You know, I, I will put my hand up and say, I tried the original Dark Souls for about two hours and then just went, I have other things in my life. I have alcohol and, you know, children and walks in the fresh air and books and, and yeah. This in is that what order. People who can devote. 
Not necessarily, um, and it depends on what the books are and what alcohol you have. But you know, it, it's it's clearly aimed at an audience that is that is not me. I found that I took an awful long time to actually like Dark Souls, and it wasn't until I gave Bloodborne a chance that I went back and actually enjoyed them. You know, I think I I think I've mentioned that like Dark Souls Two, I played a bit and enjoyed it. Then went and played Bloodborne, loved it, and then went back back and played Dark Souls Two, then won. But the first time I played Dark Souls Two, I got to a boss and was just like, nah, like I think it was the second boss in, third boss in or something, and I was like, this just this is you know taking the the Michael, you know, like I'm just not doing it. Absolutely, absolutely, and and you know this is why I I'll be absolutely honest. I spend so much time of the the small amount of time I do spend gaming, more and more of it I'm finding I spend on my mobile. You know, I, I worked in mobile games since 2000, you know, eight years before the App Store came out. And I am not one of these people who you will hear going, but mobile gaming is killing the industry and mobile games suck. That's like saying Switch games suck. You know, you can't write off a platform because you personally don't like any of the stuff that you have played. It, it makes no sense whatsoever. But there's very clearly a, a, a very broad audience. You know, there are more people playing games now than have ever played games in the past, which has to be good for the industry because it means that there are more developers producing more games and making more money, you know. It also just uh, normalises playing video games and it sort of goes against that stereotype of people who play video games after their children are, you know, 30-something-year-old white guys sitting in a basement that, you know, never leave the house. And the more people that play video games, it sort of fights that stigma. Well, hallelujah and testify, you know, because in in the week when we celebrated International Women's Day, I think the the, the need for diversity and inclusion and more, yeah, a, a much broader range of voices when it comes to video games, not just in terms of developing and designing them, but in terms of representation within them. You know, it's we see an awful lot more barrel-chested green guys with, with uh, bug eyes in video games than we do female characters. So we, we just need to get a bit better at this, let's be honest. Anyway, we tend to we, we seem to have strayed from the topic. Yeah, slightly, quite again. considerably. <laughs> Which, uh, so, so yeah, remasters, reboots. Anything else to add, gentlemen? Um, no, not really. I think we're posing a question this week more than anything, and that's, and yeah, please feel free to get in touch with us on Twitter or, you know, through the... Facebook or whatever you feel like contacting us and let us know where what you think is the line between a reboot and a remaster because for some people it will be you know you've changed the odd thing and some people it's oh no you've had you've got to properly overhaul it and change everything and like you know uh, when Oddworld Abe's Odyssey came out they changed where some of the collectibles were and some people, you know, like die-hard fans were like, this just feels wrong, it doesn't feel right, you know, because they've been playing the game for years and they knew how to 100% on like, their first run. And yeah, so it's like, it's it would be interesting to see where other people stand on the debate. Or, I don't know if it's a debate, but definitely the, the question. Well, here's, okay, yeah. three words in the whole reboot remaster question, okay? Mass Effect 3. Mm. Oh, as in what would you do with it? Well, it's a question. If you were going to reboot or remaster the series for the next generation of consoles... Well, it is getting rebooted. ...take into account. Yeah. Yeah. So what would you do with the end of that last game? (gasps) Yeah. The one that made people so cross. Yeah, but then... Would you rewrite the end of Jane Eyre? 
that's a book for everybody listening who's under the age of 50. <laughs> but that, that's the thing, like, do you reckon you'd get just as much backlash for changing the end to Mass Effect 3 as you would be for leaving it, you know, because, or for what it was to start with at least, like, you know, when, when Mass Effect 3 first came out and people got to the end of it, they were raging that, like, all, you know, all their decisions, you know, essentially came down to what colour a laser happened at the end of the game, and... Could you could you have prefaced that with spoiler, please? Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's... Look, I didn't tell you what the laser did. Um, but, you know, yeah, do you... I, I think Bioware is in an interesting kind of situation here. Do they... Do they go and rewrite it and potentially anger their fan base even further or do they just release it and say we've preserved it exactly how it was we just you know brought it up to date it's it's interesting well i i think in 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 that case um i i think it's more interesting to do both again like if if you're going to rewrite the ending do it in a way that is like that that is deliberately designed to play upon your expectations of the the thing as it was right like um Brian was talking about Twin Peaks earlier on. Like that's a good example, like of uh, an ending that that wasn't necessarily very uh, uh, well received across the board or confused people. Just make it worse by putting out a prologue that changes the story a little bit, and then making another series that also kind of changes things. Or like um, with the the I don't know if you know much if you if you're much of an anime person, but the uh, the the series Evangelion, like they've been like remaking the entire thing, and it's like entirely different like like parallel worlds different characters like all of this stuff like i think that stuff is so cool um so like it, there's that whole possibility as well yeah um i tell us what you think in like yeah in the comments the youtube twitter and all that like i said earlier like especially about mass effect like brian that's a hell of a question like i'm i'm worried i i'm not worried i'm not worried I, i'm debating in my head what's the better option Maybe it's a, a, a question right at the start of the game saying, would you like the reimagined ending or the the original? And they just do both, try to please everyone. But yeah, then they again, they still run the risk of people being like, this is just as bad as the original. So who knows? Well, let, let's, let's be honest, guys, right? Making gamers unhappy is essentially, if you listen to the you know people on YouTube, what developers and publishers set out to do. Oh yeah, 100%. So regardless of what you choose, you're going to have somebody online who's unhappy. The do question is, do we value artistic integrity? Do we cater to the, you know, the complex demands of our audience and make them part of the future um, developments of a franchise that they know, that they love, that they've maybe spent thousands of hours within? or? You know, do do we preserve the original but then take this forward? Uh, I mean, if you look at Star Wars, um, very few people thought that George Lucas's ongoing tinkering um, added anything particularly. It definitely you know, didn't, George. <laughs> step away, step away from the CGI. I remember but, you know, watching the the version of A New Hope where he added in Jabba, and I. I I think I, I can't remember who I watched it with, and they—I think they'd seen that version, but never sort of properly paid attention to it or thought about it. And I sort of like because you know we were rewatching it, you can sort of pause and go back and all that. 
I made, I told them to watch Han Solo as he walked around Jabba and how they've sort of made him all janky and clip up and down and stuff. And yeah, like why? Why did he do that? You know, because it's his game. It was his studio, and he fucking could. <laughs> you know, let's be honest. That's that's pretty much all the the reason that he needed. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is, um, where do you draw the line? You know, let's be honest. It's you can you can you can tinker, you can refine, you can change, you can update to your heart's content. Um, the reason that so many video games come out late is because of feature creep, which is, oh, we could do this. And, and oh, yeah, oh, actually, that would make it better. So we'll just jab this in. Or, uh, you know, as you develop, as you create the thing, new opportunities come up or new technology uh, or new techniques mean that you can do more. And so you go, oh, yeah, we'll just add this in. So taking something like Hitman or one of the earlier Far Cry uh, games and bringing it up to date, there would be so much that you could do that it would be it would be almost inhuman to not allow the de developers, the designers, especially if it's their original designers and developers, to realise their vision. You know, it's there's a, a really great example, uh, again on YouTube, where somebody has taken the original Grand Theft Auto um, and the, the city maps, but done it in a proper 3D engine. So you can, you know, spin around and zoom it. Now that's what we would have done if we could have in like 1996, but we couldn't because the technology just wasn't up to it. So, you know, it, it's, I think there's, there's a lot of room for a homage or, and there's a lot of room where you can let your, your players have fun with this. You know, again, Look at ModDB in the modding community, um, Black Mesa, which realises the whole of Half-Life, you know, scene by scene, shot for shot, but in the Half-Life 2 engine, is is a, a thing of beauty. You know, it's absolutely lovely. And, you know, Valve were never going to do it, but, you know, they let they let that happen. And I guess it comes down to the, the publishers, the IP owners. And I would like to imagine that many of them have big plans and a long-term plan for preserving our digital heritage and doing all of this. But yeah, maybe the gaming community needs to get out there more and say, please let us do something with this. Do you mind if I just ask you, Brian, uh, how did you find watching that video of someone recreating the original Grand Theft Auto in 3D? Because, you know, if that, you know, that's kind of what you guys wanted to do back in the day. Like, did it, did it feel almost like that was was that exactly how your vision was or your guys vision was or did they yeah, sort of sacrilege i wanted to hunt down the person and crucify them on the you know the, the halfway line at wembley no that no no absolutely not you know okay one the game came out a long long time ago and and two it's this whole it kind of goes back into the, the notion of user generated content if your hardest core fans want to take what you made and reimagine it or or do something with it my opinion and this is just my personal opinion is let them you know way back in so the, the original grand theft auto came out in 1997 around the midpoint of 1998 we started getting contacted by people who were setting up what uh, they were calling websites this being the early days of the internet and saying hey we love the game we're starting a website all about it can you can you help us and i remember you know being the pr guy i went and spoke to the team and said, can we put together a little pack of like textures and models and, you know, stuff from in the game and send it to them. And that way they can make the website look 
like the game. And this was all new. And and so we did. And so I think we, there were four or five, maybe half a dozen people out there building GTA fan sites that we sent texture packs to and that we sent, you know, in-game um, content to. Um, and they started building their own tools. And pretty soon the tools that they were using, they, they could they could reskin their own cars, they could build their own maps, they could do their own missions. And so they started modding the game, like way before the concept of game modding had come out. You know, I think Quake had just been released with its engine. But, you know, we didn't have a mod community. It wasn't a common thing that you'd find within video games. But, you know, as far as we were concerned, it's the, the, the developers and the, the sort of team behind it, um, it was go nuts, guys. It's great. You know, what? you're not harming us. You're not, yeah, you know, harming Yeah, there's nothing the you can do that can affect the product that we released. So, you know, go for it. Yeah. It, it gives your hardest core fans, it gives people who love what, the content that you've created a different way to engage and a different way to sort of pay homage. But, but then again, once you go down that route, you no longer have control necessarily over the content that your fans produce. You know, if you look at the world of fan fiction, there are some authors out there who are great, go nuts, just don't show me the really freaky stuff. Um, and there are some people who are like, no, I've got I've got a full copier full of cease and desist letters and it's one is coming your way. And it's up to the author, you know, to choose their, their sort of point of participation and their, their level of comfort. You know, it's I think there are a few people out there who have got really successful franchises um, under their belts. Um, who have said, you know, as as long as it's not featuring illegal stuff, then you know, go nuts. And and it, I mean, let's okay, let's look at Harry Potter. J.K. Rowling has written less than one percent of all the the Harry Potter fiction in the world because so many people out there are writing the same the same kind of thing. So you know, it it, it becomes a an informed decision for developers whether or not you want to allow your fans to pick up what you've made and take it in different directions yeah uh, while we're on the topic of that like i, I always kind of respected toby fox the guy behind undertale and what he what he did with that you know especially in regard to the, the sort of less savory stuff that you alluded to the idea that what he said was if you were gonna make that stuff that's not not safe for work and all that list it under i think it was undertale but spell tail as if it's t-a-i-l instead of t-a-l-e so it means that if you were wanting to find that sort of stuff you can but if you you know if you're like you know if you are someone that's just wanting to read up on like fan theories or whatever you're not going to come across that and i always thought that was a a really clever way for him to say to his community you can do what you want like yeah express yourself within this this fictional universe but don't like don't interfere with other people's fun don't like push it on them if you don't want to do that and i always thought that was a really clever and quite accepting way to do things and 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 this is the thing you know we've got some wonderful examples of of a community pulling together and and appreciating and liking the content and being far more um collaborative and friendly but you know for every one of those we've got probably two counter examples of people being horrible and tearing each other to shreds and and you know causing problems for the for the creator or indeed the the ip holder but anyway i think that we're again we're drifting off into another yeah topic for another content. day <laughs> uh, 
um, which it definitely should be, absolutely should be. So let's let's wrap up for this week, folks. Do we want to spotlight anyone this week? Is there anyone out there that you think is worthy of, of a big shout out from the SGN podcast team? Do you know, I kind of want to just circle back around to Island Saver. Yeah, like, it's such a worthwhile and incredible idea. Like, yeah, just check it out. Like, if, like, you know, we don't need to cover it too much because that's kind of what we did earlier. But, yeah, like, I feel like sort of just bringing it up again at the end. Like, it's such an important thing to say we're going to teach people how to sort of have everyday skills, but we're going to do it in a way that's more enjoyable than just you know here's a lecture on banking it's it's yeah like definitely it's just island saver 100 percent. it's a phenomenal example of how you can you know use the engagement that games are so good at to educate people you know is and this is something that we should as a as a nation as an industry we should be doing more of you know we should be reaching out to try and and take education forward we know that kids engage with engage with video games more than almost any other content type out there but the number of examples of games being used in classrooms is not great so yeah it's like ladies and gentlemen please put your hands together for uh, frank arnett and the team at stormcloud and the team at nat west because they have really produced something quite special and uh it's a really wonderful example that we should be ramming down people's throats and saying, see, see, see what we can do when we try. So thanks, Ryan. Great call. And uh, we'll put links to all of the people we've been talking to uh, and talking about in the show notes um, for this week's episode. So that brings us to the end of another week's Scottish Games Network podcast. And I don't know, I feel we're getting slicker and far more professional with this, guys. What do you think? You still haven't <laughs> listened to last week's episode, For Brian. Sure. <laughs> I'm ever so slightly up, frightened. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but I, th- I think we are. You know, practice makes perfect at the end of the day. Well, ever since we found out that, that after the Playway party that, that Andrew has set up an OnlyFans page, I'm, I'm just not entirely <laughs> sure what to do with this. Ah, yeah, I mean, only the premium Um, content goes up there. Gotta make it work somehow, you know? (laughs) SoundCloud or Bandcamp, I could have got on board with, Andrew, but, you know, I... But this is what... you gotta go direct. You can't judge judge the platform by the content that you've, you've... accessed okay moving swiftly on thank you very much indeed ladies and gentlemen it's been a pleasure as always we hope you've learned something new and um, please do keep the conversation and discussion going uh, it's we're not hard to track down the scottish games network is available across all popular social media channels and facebook so you know let us know what you think do you want to hear more of this or less of this tell us what your favorite uh, games are that you'd like to see rebooted or indeed remastered and uh, if you think we're talking mince you can tell us that too. It's we're always happy to hear from you lovely, lovely people. So until next week, I've been Brian. I've been Ryan. And I've been Andrew. That's it, guys. Peace out. Right. Catch you later. <laughs> <laughs>